You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30. Romans 8 verse 30. And we're going to get into finishing up our series on the doctrine of salvation. How many uh, say that this, the last couple weeks on salvation have been somewhat enlightening? Amen. Amen. I decided I wanted to preach on essential doctrines and there's so many essential doctrines inside the Word of God that are important for us to know. The assemblies of God who I follow and agree primarily with their doctrine. They have 16 fundamental truths that if you go to assemblies of God's school you have to know all 16 truths. Right? In order for you to be a minister in the assemblies of God you have to be tested on all 16 of these truths and be able to state what they are you have to be able to discuss them, discuss them at some point in some length, give scripture verses on these truths, and talk about why they're applicable, and be able to defend them against contrary beliefs. That's what's required from the assemblies of God to be a minister. And this is important today because a lot of times people just think they get one scripture, two scriptures, they listen to one teacher long enough. And they like what the teacher has to say and they can repeat everything that teacher says wrote. And their teaching and their doctrine has not been tested. Hello? Nobody has ever tested what they had to say. All they know is they like it and they believe it and it's good and they're just going to go around preaching it and that makes them able to say something on Facebook and Twitter, right? But that's not true. Eh? No way. The Bible talks about being seasoned as a minister. Someone say seasoned. seasoned. You should know what you believe when someone comes along and wants to put a hole in it. You should be able to smack them back and say, this is why you can't put a hole in what I believe. I've heard this argument. I've heard that argument. I've heard the whole piece of the puzzle. And then there's always people that say, well, you know, we just aren't going to believe it that way. I don't want to listen to what you have to say because you're wrong and I'm right. And they say, well, why are you wrong? Well, you know, why am I wrong? Well, you're just wrong because you don't believe what I believe. But they can't give you any reason why that person is wrong. They just don't know because it's not what someone said. That's right. That's right. So as believers, the things that we believe have to be tested. They have to be put to the test to see if they work. And if they work, you have to be able to know how to defend it. Yes. Yeah. Someone say defend it. Defend that means that you have talked to enough people. You've been scrutinized enough. You've been put through the fire. I was talking to one of the pastors in the area of Detroit. He was a great leader in Detroit. He's no longer in Detroit. He moved to another state. I had a meeting with him and I said, you know, you're a very sharp, skilled minister of the word. When I get your age, I would like to be uh, in, at your level to be able to articulate the truths that you articulate so gracefully and anointed. And I said, what, what, why are you have such an emphasis on study? You know what he told me? He said, when I was about 21, a Jehovah's Witness came to my door and took me to task. A Bible college student ran him up and down and made him look like a fool. Like he didn't know the Word of God. Bible college student. And I said, what did you do? He says, I started studying the Word of God. I started looking at it from all angles. Started studying this book and that book. Really got serious about studying the Word of God. I was talking to someone else today. And they were telling me that they met a Jewish rabbi on an airplane. And a Jewish rabbi told them, your problem is you don't study the Word of God enough. 
and they say commit to making it a lifestyle give your life to studying the word of God because Jews have to memorize the Pentateuch the first five books of the Old Testament they have to have it memorized and some people say that in Jewish schools in Jesus' day those people could memorize it so much so they could say it backwards the words backwards forward and backwards they could give you a scripture and tell you where at what chapter and what verse you're at that's how well they knew the scriptures and so we need to know God's Word and if there's anything that we need to know as the body of Christ it is how our redemption unfolds as believers in Jesus look at a neighbor tonight and say no excuse for being ignorant a lot of times people think that this walk is just God doing things for me and me doing a little for God and God doing a lot for me and that's not how the Christian walk works hello somebody so someone say skilled, skilled. <coughs> sharp, sharp. Servant, servant of the Lord. Of the Lord. I want people that come under me to be skilled, sharp servants that say, you know, where you been? You're sharp. Well, I've been to Chris Palmer's services. Amen. I'm not so much about giving you the simple gospel as I am telling you the full gospel. Amen. Amen. The full gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've been talking uh, this evening, the last couple evenings about salvation. I preached to you and said to you uh, two weeks ago, you remember what we started off with, the unpopular message, we talked about sin, right? I spent an hour and 15 minutes telling you about the atrocity of sin and why sin had to be dealt with. Did you enjoy that? Yes. But I ended it on a good note and I talked to you about the internal call of God, or what I call effective calling. Is That is that when God saw fit out of his grace and his mercy to call people out of darkness what did he do he by his own initiative and by his own will decided to show mankind another facet of his kindness and his mercy and he began to speak to the sons of God the sons of the people that the sons of men and began to call them out of their sin and I said that the internal call of God is both internal and external internal in the sense external in the sense that how can they hear unless there be a preacher right so a preacher goes forth and he begins preaching the Word of God and then out of his preaching there will be a person sitting there and they begin to sense that they're a sinner and then they begin to hear the voice of God telling them to change their lives and this is the internal call of God right, right. this is God calling to mankind letting them know that there is a time of favor that God has extended towards mankind pull people out of their misery pull people out of their suffering this is the internal call of God. And then, in order to respond to the internal call of God, man plays a part in it, right? Amen. Now, this doesn't mean that salvation comes by faith. Salvation comes by grace. Hello, somebody. Amen. The only reason that God comes to you is not because your faith is impressive to God. You cannot impress God with faith. That's right. Your faith has never impressed Him. Your faith is not why you're saved. We're going to see that in just a second. You're saved because God's grace extended it to you. Because if your faith was impressive, then we're back to getting saved by works again. And if your faith is better than the other guy's faith, then that means you have a better chance of being saved. And everybody has just the equal chance of being saved. Hello. God in His grace... All, all of the angels and every created being, Autumn, when he's turned to sinful mankind and offered himself as a substitute. Hello. 
God had another, another opportunity to show people how amazing He is. Hello, somebody. Amen. Okay. So then you had to respond, number one, through repentance. That means you really had to get tired of your sin and say, I'm sick and tired of my sin. You know, just dogging me out and, you know, I'm tired of this sin. That means that you have to experience godly sorrow. And with that godly sorrow, you become repentant. Remember we talked about this last week? And then at the same time, simultaneously, you have to say, I have to trust that Jesus is able to take this burden of sin from my life. Hello. So when we talk about faith in Scripture, people have defined faith in so many different ways today. To where faith has become confusing. Now I want you to be here next week. Because I will have a little whiteboard with me. And I'm going to, my, my objective is as a teacher to turn your, ups, your thinking upside down. We're going to talk about pre-understanding, presuppositions. And maybe we'll discover how it's possible that we've been reading the Word of God all wrong. Now, I'm not saying I've been the perfect person reading the Word of God, but what I'm going to do is teach you, show you where your weakness is, and show you how to get in there with the strength. Talk to you how, you know, maybe it's possible that we've been reading our own ideas in the Scripture. If you're honest with yourself, have you ever gotten to Scripture and thought, this can't be what this means? But then you think about your favorite teacher who's been teaching it that way for the last 45 years, but you're thinking, if it means this, this can't mean this. And if this can't mean this, it just doesn't come together. You're thinking, this is really what this means. And you realize it's probably not, but you just continue believing it because you don't know how to believe it differently. Yeah. How about we just unclog the drain today? Right. I mean, next week. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm not afraid to kick over the tables because you know what? If we're preaching something the way man preached it, then we're not preaching the Word of God. That's right. Hello. Amen. We're preaching it the way man, and it ceases to become the Word of God. And guess what? If it ceases to become the Word of God, it ceases to be trustworthy. That's right. You can't trust it and place your confidence in it. Hello, somebody. Amen. So I'm always looking for ways to better understand God's Word. So we talked about repentance. We talked about uh, placing faith in Christ. This is called conversion. Amen. Amen. And then we talked about after you do that, something comes in your life, and that's called regeneration. And that is the life of God is imparted to you. You now have spiritual life. And I said last week that when you're someplace and someone says that person's a believer, what they're seeing is not your conversion. They're not seeing the internal call of God. They're not seeing justification as we're about to see in a minute. What they're seeing in your life is regeneration. That something took place in you that has imparted life into you. Amen. Amen. So now we come to a place in our walk and in our redemption, the way that it's played out is that we've been regenerated and given spiritual life inside of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So what comes next? Anybody know? Go with me to Romans 8.30 and we're about to find out tonight. Are you ready? Yes. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Now I didn't talk about predestinate, this word here, because it's, it's opened up a can of worms that I don't want to get into tonight. And, and even in this Bible study, it would be a separate class because it's a complicated thought. And it, and, and it should be preached with simplicity and I don't have the time to get into it. But then it says, whom he did predestinate, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. Someone say justification. justification. Knowing what justification is, write this down if you're taking notes, will produce great humility in your life. As a believer. You know, we have so many people preaching so many different things. And I was thinking about this this evening before I came here. And while I was showering. And if we cease to get away from something that's simple. Then we've gotten away from the gospel. Mm -hmm. 
it shouldn't be that complicated. If something is just complicated, then it's not the gospel no more. Amen. Should be simple. I mean, it should be profound, but it should be simple, right? And so when you see someone that's walking in humility, I promise you, they have some type of understanding of justification that came from Jesus Christ. Someone turn to the neighbor and say, justify. justify. Come on, say justify. justify. I shouldn't be hearing the air conditioning, remember? I know this is Bible class and these, but I told the Lord, I'm not going to try and be too dogmatic in what I'm talking about, right? 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 Have I been too dogmatic? Just be honest with me. I'm, I'm trying to preach you by the Spirit and at the same time give you profound truths from the Word of God. Amen. Amen? Okay. So someone say, what is justification? The next thing that comes in your life after you've received spiritual life that comes from God is something called justification. This is extremely important for the body of Christ to understand. It's important for people that are in the kingdom of God to understand justification because a lot of the great heresies in the kingdom, a lot of the great heresies in the church have come through this one idea and that is this. So let's put it this way. You remember we talked about sin and how people were transgressors of the word of God? See, justification, well, I'll get justification, write this down. If you take your notes this evening, write this down. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which, number one, He thinks of your sins as forgiven and number two, declares you to be righteous in Christ. Now look what I just said here. I said He declares you to be righteous, not makes you righteous. Justification, if you're taking note, is not the act whereby God makes you brand new inside of Him. That's regeneration. People say, well, God justified me and therefore He made me new. No, 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 no. He made you new before He justified you. Because in order for God to declare that you are not guilty from your sin, He has to see you as not guilty for your sin. So justification is a legal term which simply means that God has declared something over your life. And He has declared it over your life because something has taken place. Are you here tonight? Something has occurred inside of the process of redemption whereby God can legally look at you and say, this person is not guilty. Do you know how many people today we have in the body of Christ? They're constantly going before God, seeking conversion, seeking repentance. I remember when I was about 12 or 13, I answered Brother Moore every single altar call that the pastor gave for the same thing, to be made right with God. Because nobody was teaching me about the fact that the moment that you're converted to God, the moment you respond to God, hello, with saving faith and tell God, I'm sorry for my sins. I know that Jesus Christ is enough. I know that he can take the burden and misery of sin that after he kicks in the process of regeneration and makes you a new creature in him, he looks at you and makes a proclamation as the author and judge of the universe and that is not guilty this person is not guilty why can you say this person is not guilty because something has occurred that allowed God to say this for your life do you know what people have more in this life than anything that is 
guilt. If you have never seen guilt destroy somebody, you haven't lived very long. Guilt destroys people's lives. Guilt will cause a father to be an abuser. Guilt will cause a mother to neglect her children. Guilt will cause people to give kids up for adoption and never want to, to, to parent that child. Guilt will cause relationships to break up simply because this is a hidden thing called guilt. I feel ashamed. It brings shame. It brings depression. It causes people to be dysfunctional because they never see that the judge of the universe looked at them and everything that they did wrong in the minute of their conversion and said, you are not guilty for this. I can legally declare that you are justified. Again, let me say this. Justification is not God making you a new creature. It is God declaring you. Because in the process of this, you know, here's the issue. You came to God and you told God, I am sorry for my sins. You told God, I trust Jesus. To take my sin from me. And God gave you brand new life. But here's the problem. You are guilty. Still. Of your sins. Do you know why you're guilty? Because you transgressed. And you committed those sins. So what does God do about the fact that you're still guilty? You ever stop to think about that? You know, people say, well, glory to God. You know, I came to Jesus, you know, and I, everything was good. And I'm my God, you know, I'm just walking a new life and I'm just born again. And, you know, God's just good and everything's great. But wait, 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 wait. What happened to the fact that you are guilty still for what you did? Hello, somebody. Go with me in your word. If you got your Bible, how many bring your Bibles here? Go with me to Romans chapter 8. This is really where we get into Romans chapter 8. Verse number 34, 33. It says here, I'm going to read it out of the RSV. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Someone say justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. So you see here that condemnation was your opponent while you're in sin. So you may have converted to Jesus. You may have given your heart to Him. You may have new life. But... You have still one more opponent to be met. Write this down if you're taking notes. And that is condemnation. What did Jesus do about condemnation? Condemnation is somebody looking at you and declaring you guilty. Your sin condemned you as guilty. Right? Amen. Go with me if you have your Bible to Deuteronomy 25, verse 1. Let me show you this. You getting anything out of this so far? I want you to know the difference between all these aspects of salvation. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 1. 
It says here, if there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judges, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So you see here that the word justify, talking about justifying the righteous and condemning the wicked, does not mean an internal work that takes place in somebody's life. Hello? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So, if it meant that justifying the wicked was to take a wicked person and make them good inside, why would that be an abomination to the Lord? Are you hearing me? So justification meant to come along to a person that's bad and make them good. What's wrong with that? That's not what it means. Justification means in being an abomination to the Lord to justify a wicked person means that a wicked person comes to the court. The judge looks at that wicked person and says, you know what? I'm going to forget you murdered that person. Go ahead. You're free. You just declared that person not guilty when they were guilty. So here's the thing. God, as the legal judge of the universe can make you brand new can make you righteous but he still can't pardon your guilt mm -hmm. the guilt that you have had to be dealt with couldn't just make you new it wasn't enough for him to make you new he had to find a way to deal with your guilt are you here? And it's not through regeneration. I'll illustrate it to you like this. Regeneration is like a person that goes to the doctor. Maybe they have a disease. Maybe they have a tumor, right? Let's just say they have a tumor. They go to the doctor. They say, doctor, doctor, I got a tumor. They take them to the operating table. They open that person up. They find the tumor and they pull the tumor out. And now the person is new inside. This is regeneration. But in this process, the justification is when the doctor comes back to the room after the person has been made new and says, here's your clean bill of health. I declare you now a healthy person. It is the declaration process, but this cannot happen in a Christian's life until your guilt has properly been dealt with. So, this means that in are you here tonight? Mm -hmm. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes. This means that in Scripture, that God has done something that legally has pardoned people, brother Chris, from their guilt. This means that a Christian, if they walk in light of these truths, should not be walking around feeling so guilty the way they feel guilty all the time. How many of you meet guilty people? Hello. Amen. <laughs> Go with me to Romans chapter four. Let me show you this. Romans chapter 4, verse number 6. Someone say justification. justification. Someone say thank God. thank God. Say thank God. Thank God. I've been justified. justified. Romans chapter 4, and verse number 6. Actually, you know what? Pardon me. Go with me to Psalm 103.12. I'd rather do this. Chapters, Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. This is what you want you to do if you're writing notes. I want you to write this down. 
If God merely declared us to be forgiven of our sins, that would not solve our problem entirely. That would just make us neutral before God. Hello? We're forgiven sinners. You see what I mean? Just a second. If God had just legally forgiven you, see, people today, what they want is forgiveness of sins. But let me submit this to you tonight. Forgiveness of sins is not enough. Because let me show you what I mean by this. How many people has someone do wrong to you? Right? And the person come to you, Brother Chris, and ask you forgiveness. Does that mean, let's say they did you really wrong. It's your obligation to forgive that person, especially if they're a brother and sister in Christ. But let me tell you what most people don't do. They don't give that person favor in their life again. Just because you are forgiven does not mean that you're going to get favor again. So people say, I want forgiveness from God. It's not enough to just have forgiveness with God. It's enough. To, you know, forgiveness is good. I thank God for forgiveness, but forgiveness in your life is not enough. So, in God's process of justification, there are two things that God does out of His grace and out of His mercy for mankind. And number one, that is that God declares that we have no penalty to pay for sin. So God says in justification, this person, I'm going to justify him and declare them not guilty. And I'm going to show you why in just a second. But in declaring him not guilty, he's saying, you know what, Damar? You don't have to pay a penalty for your sin. Natalie, don't have to pay a penalty for your sin. Brittany, don't have to pay a penalty for your sin. Chris, don't have to pay a penalty for your sin. Do you know what that does now for me and God? That makes me, in this declaration, neutral before him. I was in the minus with God. I was going to receive, hello, I was going to receive penalty for God. God says to me, I forgive you, don't worry about it. Now, I'm morally neutral before God. But, God could not be satisfied with you being morally neutral. Some people think they're morally neutral. You have a lot of people in the Catholic Church, they think, well, I'm just neutral. God, you're just, you know, I'm a forgiveness here. That's all I am, <laughs> forgiveness here. No! That's half of justification. And if that's the way you think, you'll never get the full benefit that you have before God. Hello. Forgiveness is not enough. It's not all that God did for you. The next thing that God did for you to move you from the negative into the neutral was forgive you. But God moved you from the neutral into the positive when God says, I now declare you righteous. Yes. Hello, somebody. Yes. So first he says forgiven. Then he says come out of the neutral and come into the positive. Now you are righteous. So justification means two things. Write them down. That is forgiveness of sins and being declared that this person is a righteous man. People say, well, you know, I'm just forgiven. No, 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 no. You're forgiven, but you're declared righteous. That means given favor again before Almighty God. You stand in a position of favor with your Heavenly Father. You're no longer in the negative. You're no longer in the neutral. You have a position of favor with God. Amen. That's good. Yeah. God says it's not enough just for you to be someone walking around who's just been forgiven. God says stand before me with favor as somebody that's got my attention when you pray. Yeah. Amen. That's right. This is the process of yeah. justification. Yeah. 
Hello, somebody. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, verse 10, He clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robes of righteousness. That means that when you come walking into the court of God, humbly, not arrogantly, people see robes upon you, and they say, what's that? They say, this is the garments of those who have favor with the Almighty. They are dressed differently. Yes. You ever see people maybe that, you know, they, they, they dressed or wearing some type of pin and you're like, this person's VIP. You go to a concert, you see them dressed like VIP. Mm -hmm. They got the little tag. This is like the garment of righteousness. When God sees it on you, when demons see it on you, they know VIP in the kingdom. Yes. <laughs> but here's the question that I have not answered for you. Can God tell you, Latanya? Not guilty. You now have favor with me. When? You are guilty. <laughs> if God says you're not guilty, and you are guilty, either God's a liar or somebody's wrong. How can He tell you that you're righteous when you're not righteous? Didn't God just say it's an abomination to declare a righteous man, an unrighteous man righteous? Didn't he just declare it's a guilty to allow someone who's wicked off the hook? Is he an abomination unto himself? This is where the next aspect of your justification comes in. It's a big theological word, but this is class. Write it down. It's called imputation. And it's a big, gigantic classroom word to simply means to think of as. You say, what's imputation mean? Just put down regard. Regard. Let me show you what it says in Romans chapter 4 verse 6. Is this good tonight? Are you learning something? Let me show you how it works out. The nuts and the bolts. Because let me tell you something. Your doctrine will be challenged in the kingdom of God. People will come along. These concepts about righteousness is what has been challenged so much. I have seen people. You know God told me when I was. When God started to enter me into seeing healings and miracles and things like this. You know what the Lord told me when I was praying. God told me very clearly. I want you to be able to teach twice as good as you do heal the sick. I say, why? And you know what the Lord showed me? That the moment people get into miracles, the enemy attacks what they believe. Mm -hmm. Because he wants to corrupt their thought process because it will take them into heresy and they will no longer use their giftings for the kingdom of God and for the purposes of God. So when I say that I want to see sharp people, I don't like seeing people that operate in the supernatural, but they don't know what they believe. Yeah. I want to see them sharp. Amen. Hello? Amen. I want to see them powerful. I want to see them be able to articulate Amen. the Word of God. Amen. Someone told me, well, I know these things, but I can't speak them. Then you don't know them well enough. Right. Hello? Mm -hmm. That's right. Imputation means to regard. It says in Romans 4, 6, To one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his blessing is reckoned. His blessing is reckoned as righteousness. It's thought of as righteousness. So David pronounces a blessing upon the man whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Someone say reckon. Reckon. So, we're going to see that 
in Romans chapter 4, verse 6, that God is talking about righteousness has to be reckoned to you mm -hmm. in order for you to receive it mm -hmm. because you're not righteous. Right. In other words, God has to see you as righteous. He has to think of you as righteous. He has to frame His mind to look at you that way. This isn't the first time that we see that God imputed something to us or to other people. I showed you last two weeks ago that God thought of you as guilty the moment Adam sinned. Because he saw down the road that it was inevitable you're going to commit the same sin. Because of his foreknowledge, he imputed guilt to you before you even came out of the womb. Then we see that Christ suffered and died for our sins. And when, God, when Jesus Christ suffered and died for your sins, hello somebody? Mm -hmm. You here? Mm -hmm. Brother Tristan, Under Armour, you here? <laughs> I got to go to the Under Armour store this week so it make me think of that when I see that shirt. <laughs> I'm getting too big in the gym now to wear just t-shirts. I got to graduate to Under Armour now. You know, I got to get serious now in the gym wearing Under Armour, you know. I can't just wear my Adidas pants. I got get. I got my blender bottle now. I got my, my, my I've been started taking creatine now. I got to get my Under Armour. I'll be all set, right? Yeah, I know. I'm getting too big for these swears. I got to get enough. Just teasing. So... Then you see that when Jesus Christ died, God imputed your sin to Him. When He saw Jesus on the cross, you know what God said? That's my children. Paying the penalty for their sin. So, but then, because of this, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. And God thinks of Christ. God thinks of His righteousness as now being your righteousness. Hello? So write this down if you're taking notes. This is good. This is, this, is, this is the gospel. You know, people don't preach it. You know what they preach? They say, health, wellness, positive thinking. They preach on becoming a better you. This is not the gospel. And you know why they don't preach the gospel? It goes back to what I said 20 minutes ago. They don't know the gospel. They know everything but the gospel. They know how to tell you how to be a good you. But you know what? You can't preach that in third world. You know why? Because in third world, they don't comprehend. No comprende. They don't have the means. Most of what we call what we call the gospel here is just success because we live in America. Right. It's capitalism. It's not the gospel. Hello. God does not declare us to be right, just, or righteous on the basis of our actual condition of being righteous. Because you're not. He thinks of it as belonging to you. So, because He thinks of it as belonging to you, you know what you can say? Well, if God thinks it must be so. That's right. right. Right? Amen. When God thinks a thought and regards it as true, must be true. So the question is, am I righteous because it's been imputed to you and that's what God thinks? Yes. Isn't that cool? You guys are not you checking out on me. Are you here? Oh, I know what you guys want to hear. You want to hear about miracles and signs and wonders, right? That's not what this is, right? <laughs> because you know what I decided? If we do all that kind of stuff and people don't know what they believe, then what's the point? That stuff will not follow unless you know this. That's right. Brother Moore is seeing miracles follow his ministry. Brother Moore, are you aggravated when you see miracles and then you see stupidity follow it? Yes. Right? Okay. So, Romans 3.23, Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified by His grace. Write this down if you're taking notes. Justification in your life, like I was saying a minute ago, comes by the grace of God. 
this simply means that nobody could ever make themselves free from guilt and in right standing with God by merit. It came as a free gift from God. This means that because it cannot come by our own merit, that it is totally apart from your own working to get it. It says, by grace you're saved through faith. So God had no obligation to impute Christ's righteousness to you. It was simply because God is good. Someone asked me this week, they said, how do you know God is good? Actually, this week I was doing a visit with some people and we were talking about a particular person that had gone home to be with the Lord. And someone told me, well, they're in heaven. I'm doing this funeral on Saturday. Said, this per I said, do they know Jesus? And the person said, yes, they knew Jesus. I said, how do you know they know Jesus? They said, because they lived their life for Jesus. They told me they're born again. And I said, well, praise God. Then I have confidence that they're in heaven with the Lord. Mm -hmm. There was someone in the room that wanted to challenge what I said. And they said to me, really? How do you know that? And I said, well, I believe the Bible is true. Well, how can you be sure of that? You know what I told that person? I want to take notes. I said, let me go get a pen and write this down because this is good. I said, I do believe that. And I know that I'm going to, when I, first of all, I believe that this person is in heaven. is because I was told this person is in heaven. And I have no reason to believe otherwise. But if you're asking me why I believe that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And I'm going to talk about this in just a second. I said, it's simply this. Because... I have the witness of the Spirit in my heart telling me I'm going to go to heaven. And because of the witness of the Spirit that bears witness to me that I am a child of God, that witness also tells me that I have a heaven that's called a home and a body that's waiting for me in heaven. And I said, and so if I have that witness and she confessed that she's, a, that she's in Christ, then guess what? She has that witness. And if you're a Christian, you should have that witness too. And none of us should be doubting this. Amen. That's right. He said, well, I believe it too. I said, I bet you do now. <laughs> That's right. I don't doubt the fact that God has declared me in right standing with Him. Do you know why? Because there's a witness of the Spirit that says that His righteousness is belonging to you. And every time I get in the presence of God, Every time he ministers to me, every time he speaks to me, do you know what I hear? Not the voice of condemnation. I hear the voice of a father in whom I have favor with. Every time I stand before God, it is not a dictator and a tyrant talking to me. It is somebody that cares about me. And this is enough to assure me that suddenly God looks at me the way he looked at Jesus. That's right. That's right. son. Yes. Well, how you know God did this for you? Because when I get in His presence and I encounter Him, this is what is testified of as being true. That's right. You say, well, I just always go before God and I feel guilty. Maybe you need to get saved then. Right. <laughs> because if you were saved, you would have the witness of the Father in your heart that declares that He no longer looks at you as a sinner in Adam. That's, That's right. right. Thank you. That's right. Well, I just been going around my life, and I know God. I just went. No, no, no. You can't get saved off your grandma's faith and your grandpa's faith. You can't get saved because you light a candle at Catholic mass. You can't get saved because you help the poor feed a turkey on Thanksgiving. You get saved because you turn to Jesus, and God says to you, "He's my son." Yeah. 
Then I look at him through Jesus. Right? Am I right or am I, am I telling you lies tonight or am I preaching the truth? So write this down. I'm going to finish with justification with this. What does justification do for you? Let's figure it out tonight. Number one. It gives us the ability to offer hope to unbelievers who can never make themselves righteous before God. This means, because it's by grace, I can go to any country in the world, any city in the world, and tell them, good news for you. Doesn't matter if you don't have water or electricity or like when I go to the islands and they don't have hot water. Doesn't matter. You don't need all that to get saved. You know what you need? To believe in God's grace. Nothing you can do, but just take it. Number two, it gives us confidence before God that He will never make us pay for sins that have been forgiven because of Christ. God will never punish His children out of His wrath. Oh, brother, there's a day of wrath coming. No, 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 no. Let me just illustrate to you like this. What if a believer decides that after service tonight, going to get in his car, make sure no one's looking, and go down to Sitco and buy a pack of Marble Reds and smoke the whole pack by the time they get to their house? <laughs> one believer will come along and say, well, brother, God's going to send down a fiery judgment upon you and burn you up until there's nothing left but sinews and bones and ash. Really? What father does that to his child? Zero. You know what happened instead? God might have to discipline you. But I can guarantee you, He's not going to take your face and shove it against a hot stove and make you pay for that. You know what God might do to discipline you? He might allow you to get caught by another believer in the gas station when you're buying them. He might allow you to drop your cigarettes out of your purse when you're in church next time and be embarrassed by everyone. He might allow you to surpass it to get in your car and find cigarettes in the ashtray. And you're going to be embarrassed now. He might allow you to have a scare at the doctor. Oh yeah, I don't think that doesn't happen to people. Well, God wouldn't put sickness on me. No, He wouldn't, but you certainly would put sickness on you smoking that garbage. That's right. That's it. will find you out. That's right. Amen. Okay, you ready for the next thing? Now, before we get to the next thing, let me say this. This, this next thing we're about to talk about is really what it all comes down to. We talked about internal calling, external calling. We talked about how God predestined. We talked about how all, all this stuff that we just talked about. This next thing is the grand finale of your salvation. Go with me to Romans chapter 8 verse 14. Many people don't even know that this really is part of your salvation. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. I'm going to read this in a different translation because I like this. It says here, For all who are led by the Spirit of God. Anyone led by the Spirit of God? Amen. They are the sons of God. Someone say sons of God. Sons of God. Now I know a lot of people that want to be politically correct and the feminist movement wants to make this into sons and daughters of God. But the Greek doesn't say daughters, it says weos, which means sons. Ho-weos, it's a nominative, which means that we are the sons of God. God being genitive, sons being the subject. Now, 
There's a reason why God, in His wisdom, called even women in the body of Christ sons. You mean, if you're a woman here today, you're a son of God, you should technically not change it to daughters because this word is going to lose its meaning the minute you do that. But we're daughters of God too. Yeah, I got that. I get it. You're a woman. Okay, I got that. We're children of God. Yeah, but that technon is the Greek word for that. It doesn't pick up the meaning of what he's trying to convey to you. Paul was trying to tell you something, women. Listen. Listen, please. Husbands tap their wife and say, yeah, listen to the preacher. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. To fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. Notice he didn't say daughtership. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, just, you know, there being all these women today. The Bible, we just need to change it to the female version of the Bible. Yeah, okay. Have fun with that. <laughs> when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and have children and heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, provided that we should suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified. The next blessing of salvation, if it hasn't been obvious to you yet, is adoption mm -hmm. into the family of God. Someone say adoption. Adoption into the family of God. Adoption is different from the other aspects. In regeneration, we're made spiritually alive, able to, to relate to God in prayer. But here's the thing about just being made spiritually alive. It would be it would be possible to talk to God in prayer, to hear His Word in prayer, and have a receptive heart. But, as a matter of fact, it would be possible to be able to pray, able to understand the Word of God, able to obey. It would be possible to be righteous, not guilty, and be on some distant planet, but not a part of God's family. So here's the thing. God looked at you, Damar. He looked at you, Natalie, and says, No! I'm not just going to make them alive and call to them. I'm not going to just, you know, declare that they're righteous. Give them the ability to understand my word. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make them higher than the angels. Some people walk around and say, I'm just higher than the angels. They don't even know why. <laughs> it's higher than the angels. Why? I don't know. The Word of God says it everywhere. I believe it. <laughs> Some people put in their Bible, the Word of God says it. I believe it. And that tells it. You know what I tell those people? I said, well, that's nice. But guess what? Even if you didn't believe it, it would still be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe it. And that tells it. No, it was settled before you believed. It was settled when God said it. How about that? So take that part out. But I get what you're trying to say. I just like to be, you know, the devil's advocate, the antagonist sometimes, right? So, God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to adopt them into my family. Someone say adoption. So let me tell you why God left it as sons and didn't put daughters in it. You fall in the category of sons. Why? Because daughters never had rights to inheritance. Mm, that's right. mm. 
If you are a daughter of God, guess what? The inheritance isn't coming to you. Make sure I want to study Greek now, right? Come to school with me. You can study the Greek language. You'll get a whole bunch more good stuff that makes sense and comes full circle. Right? Well, I'll tell you why we're sons, because in heaven we're all going to be sexless. No! <laughs> no, no, no. You will resemble, you will probably have those organs when you get to heaven. Well, how can you prove it? Because we're going to see in just a second that you will be able to be recognized. Is there marriage in heaven? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Make sure I want to study a little bit now. That if you change it to daughters, you know what you did? You struck out the inheritance. Keep it sons and get over yourself about it. Because here are the privileges of adoption. Number one, the first thing is when you have been adopted, you will relate to God as father the way a son relates to his father mm. not the way a slave relates to his master people that look at God as a slave owner have no revelation of adoption mm. people that don't know the love of God have no understanding that they're now part of the family of God Number two, you have an internal witness that causes us to instinctively call God Father. Someone says, how can you be so bold to call God your Father? This is such a big thought. It's such a deep thing. It is so mind-blowing. Not only to you but to all the other created beings that this creation that God started he would turn his face towards them once again and have the audacity to go back to them out of his love and out of his grace not just call them not just make them alive not just forgive them but say to them be a part of my family to which of the angels did he ever say be a part of the family of God and it's such an unbelievable thing to the human race's mind that God says I have to let them know and I have to testify back to them the moment they're brought into my family and I will never discontinue letting you know that I'm your father and so he sent the Spirit to you to testify to you. Every time you're in doubt, your Father is God. Your God is your Father. And every time you're born again, you know you've been born again when your Spirit hears Abba Father. Hallelujah. Someone says to me, well, how do you know you've been born again? Because when I think of God, I hear Father. Amen. How many ever been down and out just poking around the house? Getting a cup of water, checking your phone, scrolling through your contact list, see if there's anyone to hang out with, going on Facebook, <laughs> see the gossip. Just blowing down and out, and finally you say, oh, I better go to God in prayer and get this thing straightened out. And you're so down, but you say, Father, so you're coming to Him as Father now. Mm-hmm. You're relating him as father. Sinner can't do that. Sinner comes like this. Right? When he's your father, 
God has many roles in your life. He has the role of teacher, master, Lord. That's good tonight. He has the role of disciplinarian, judge. This is the most intimate role of God in your life. That He's your Father. And watch this. Because it is the most intimate role of God, it will always be the aspect that Satan attacks. Because where there's the greatest intimacy, there is the greatest potential of power. There's no aspect of your salvation that yields more power than knowing God as your Father. And in order to do that, you have to know that you've been adopted into His family. So when God is your Father, you know, number one, He loves you. You know that He also understands you. You know that He takes care of all your needs and He gives to you good gifts. James chapter 1, verse 17. Are you here? Yeah. And we know that if this is the case, like Peter says, that there is an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. And now watch this. Because you're part of... Ah, oh, this is good. This is good. Because you're part of the family of God, angels must now treat you the way they treat God. <laughs> How do they treat God? Not in the sense that they'll worship you because that is God's glory and it's only for Him. You're not God. You're part of God's family. But do you know what angels will do? They will now serve you. The same way if you're sitting at the table and there's a waiter waiting on you because you're at the royal table with God, angels will minister unto you. And people in the kingdom of God that understand adoption will understand that this family business is so important that God is given ministering servants to those that are a part of the family to see to it that family business comes to pass. When you have been adopted into God's family, you need to utilize the help of those angels that have been assigned to you. I was talking, I had an inclination to talk to one of my friends from Italy this morning. And I was getting in the shower and I said, I need to, I need to talk to him. I need, I need, he, I, he has a word for me. And when I went, I haven't talked to him in weeks. And, when I, and we don't talk every day. We don't talk every week. We don't, sometimes we don't talk for months. And I got out of the shower. He was texting me. He said to me, God told me to tell you, use your angels. I said, wow. Forgot I had angels to use, you know. You have it. Listen. Release your angels to minister for you. Yeah. You don't want to get to heaven one day. And God said, you know, you did A, B, and C, but D and E, just you never got it done. Mm -hmm. 
what happened? And then before you can say something, your angels look at you and say, he, wouldn't, he didn't tell us to do it for him. <laughs> we, was, we were trying to do it, but he wouldn't tell us to do it. We, I mean, we tried, but he was too busy playing the Xbox. <laughs> he was too busy talking to girls. He was too busy, you know? He was too busy posting selfies on Twitter. <laughs> he wouldn't commission his angels to go forward. Mm -hmm. Use your angels, married couples. Go before God and commission the angels of God not to go and get you a bazillion, majillion dollars. No, 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 no. Find out the purpose of God for your life. Yeah. You know that scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But let me tell you something. That's not true in the sense that we put it on Christmas cards and, and, and birthday cards. Mm -hmm. You can do all things that God purposed Perfect. for you to do in His strength. Right. That means that if God tells you to do it, mm -hmm. you can do it through His strength. But if He didn't tell you to do it, it's going to be your strength. Right. That means you can't tell angels to go forth for you and get you a gig on American Idol if God hasn't willed for that to happen in your life. So before you can commission your angels, the Father needs to tell the sons what is their job to do and then the angels of God will get behind the Word of God in the family of God. Yeah. <sighs> is this good tonight? Yes. Now, there's another blessing that happens. Did you know, because we're part of the family of God, that my relationship with Brother Moore, for example, is far deeper than any relationship that any angel has with another angel. Michael and Gabriel's relationship is not so much deep as me and Brothers Moore's relationship. Because Michael and Gabriel are not family. They are individually created beings. But, because I'm a redeemed person, and Brother Moore's a redeemed person, do you know what that makes us? Inheritors together of the glory of God. I don't know why I keep looking at you tonight, Latan. I just know he must be on you tonight. He missed his shirt. That's right, the shirt. <laughs> Hello, so what time is it? What time we got? 8 20. All right, all right. Well, don't say that because. Don't <laughs> matter. Wow, this is powerful. And because we're children of God, do you know what that means? Write this down if you're taking notes. Matthew chapter 5, 16. I have lots of scriptures. I'm skipping over all of them. I have 14 pages of notes for you tonight. How about that? I can't read everything I got in here. Boy, I can't wait for you to come next week. Wait till we get the blackboard out and I start hacking scriptures up. We're going to find out how much we don't know. Amen. I like to go to class to find out how much I don't know. Not to find out how much I know, right? Otherwise, you're not getting sharp. Yes. When I was in basketball practice, my coach used to tell me, stop shooting with your right hand. Start shooting with your left. I don't want to shoot with my left. I look bad when I shoot with my left. He said, this is not what you're practicing for. Would you rather look bad here or look bad in the game? So I tried shooting with my left. I still can't shoot with my left. Amen. Hello, is anybody out there? <laughs> let, the, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you know your responsibility? as being a child in the kingdom of God is to honor your father. Hello. Your actions, your life, your words, the way you treat other believers is what will bring honor to your father. 
do you know what will bring dishonor to your father? In actions that you take in your life that embarrasses him. My dad used to tell me, I am raising you up so that when you get to the age where you can make decisions, you don't make a fool of the family. Because you do something stupid, you have my last name. And people will look at you and look at me and think we're all stupid in this family. Do you know when people start acting stupid in families? You know what family members do? Well, don't come to the reunion. Don't come, don't come around here no more. <laughs> because if I have a friend who does something stupid, I say, man, he's my friend. I don't know. He's just stupid. He's not, he's not from my blood. But if you have a family member that starts acting stupid, you can't get away from them. You just tell them, don't show up in public. You don't talk about them. You don't mention them. Why? Because you're related to that person. And if you're related to somebody, it's possible to bring shame to that person. So that means, as a child of God, you can bring shame to God. So you live in a reverence, fear for God that my words can bring shame. Do you know how people in the body of Christ shame their father the most? My dad told me there's one thing that will put him in the grave early to see me and my brother fighting each other, especially in public. My dad told me if you were ever in school and somebody messes with your brother, if you don't defend him and get in that fight, you don't come home to this house. Which means, even if my brother picked a fight, now I gotta get in it. Because you know what? To see unity in a family brings honor to the father. To know that his children getting along and are for each other. Even if they get beat up. Don't run on fight number one. Number two, get in every fight your brother gets in. So to bring honor to my father, do you know what I do? I bring honor to my brother and my sister. I don't have a sister. If I had a sister, I'd bring honor to, to my brother. So how do you honor God as a child of God? You honor one another. I may not like you, but I have to honor you. I may not think much of you. You may not think much of me. <laughs> but I honor you. With my words and my actions. And if there's a problem with you, Daddy will take care of it. I don't have to take care of it. You want to know something? You want peace in your life. Stop talking stupid about people. Most of the drama in your life is because you talk crazy about other people. People that come to me, all oh, these issues and problems, and oh, my life is a mess, and everybody's mad at me. You don't ask them, first off, how have you been talking about people? Because you will find out. The Lord told me this. I was in sixth grade, God told me this. I said to him one time, I said, you know, all these people have drama. Why do they have a drama? You know what I realized? I don't sit in class and write notes to people, and pass notes, and leave paper trails of all the bad things that I think about people. And all the people in elementary school that were causing drama were the ones passing notes and talking bad about people. And the Lord showed me, your life is simple because you don't talk bad about people. The person that doesn't talk bad about their brother and sister will be free. Amen. Amen. See, that's your chicken nugget for the night. Amen. Amen. Okay, one more. Are you here tonight? 
You ready for one more? Say, I'm ready. Romans 8, 17. Let's go to that. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. We've been in Romans 8 a lot tonight, right? Is anyone here? Yes. Sister Deli, you here? <laughs> she said, yes, I'm here. All right. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Jesus Christ. Here we go now. If so, be that we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified also together. Now, I want to say this. I have to stop here because we've been going through salvation. There are some people that do not ever want to believe for one second that the word suffering is in the Bible. They would like to take an eraser and find every time the Bible says suffering and just scribble it out or change the meaning of the word. But as believers, we have to find a way to understand why and what this suffering is talking about. Suffering in the context of the New Testament is never talking about sickness or disease. It is not talking about anything that is not unique to the world. This is a unique suffering that happens to believers. Hello, somebody. Mm -hmm. Suffering with Christ. The same way that Christ suffered, and that is in His persecutions. Hello. But, if that were enough, there is also another suffering that we have here in this earth, and that is human suffering. You suffer. You may not be sick in your body, but there is a level of suffering that every person in this room is going through simply because redemption has not been completed in your life yet. What do you mean? I got into an argument with someone about this one time. They said everything that Jesus did, Christ did, is done, and we should walk in light of it. I said that's not true. Because the Bible says, to those that are being saved, Romans 1.17, it's the power of God. You are still going through the process of redemption. You, in Scripture, will see there's only one person that has gone through the whole process, and that is the first fruits of them that believe, and that's Jesus Christ. He went through it completely to show to you. Hello, somebody. To show to you just the pattern that you're following. The Jesus. The man Christ Jesus, the God-man, is the prototype of the believer. Hello, somebody. He is the divine prototype. That means that what he went through, if you believe in him, and you go through the process of denying yourself, the process of following him, which is the suffering, is going through that process that he himself went, then you will come out on the other side the way that he came out. Hello, somebody. That means if you say, I will follow Jesus into going through this, guess Guess what? You will end up how he ended up. Y'all right. looking at me like I'm a fish. <laughs> I don't like that, man. Brother Chris, I don't like that part of the message. No, 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 no. This is a good part of the message. Hello, somebody? That's the S word. The S word is suffering. <laughs> not, the F, not the S word. This. Write this down if you're taking notes. I'm almost done. The work of Christ's redemption is not complete in your life. His work is done, but it's not complete in your life 
until your bodies are entirely set free from the effects of the fall and brought to the state of perfection wherewith Christ has made them. Until the day your body is where Christ intended it to be, there'll be suffering in your life. Ooh, what are you saying, Brother Palmer? God's going to put cancer on me? No, 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 no. Why do we got to do that? I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. I'm talking about the fact that you got to go to the gym. You got to deal with tight pants. You got to deal with not wanting to overeat. You know what you have to deal with? Telling your flesh no. Mm -hmm. Telling your flesh bad flesh. Don't do that. Bad. No. Bad. Bad flesh. Bad flesh. Every day. Doesn't it get exhausting? Every day. Oh, flesh. You and I, so we meet again, flesh. So we meet again. And you put the flesh under. And you say, praise be to God. Ten minutes later, oh, you're back again. <laughs> knock, knock, who's there? Flesh. Get out of here, flesh! <laughs> leave me alone. Flesh. Just leave me alone. Come on, leave me alone. God, this flesh just picks on me. I go to school and picks on me and follows me to my car. God, let the flesh leave me alone. God says, can't separate you now. You're going to have to contend with your flesh, but you've been given the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of your life so that you can overcome this flesh. Are you saying the flesh is bad? No, 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 no. I'm saying this. Your flesh is your flesh. It ain't possessed by the devil. It's just what it is. It's under the Lordship of Jesus. I'm not one of these Gnostics that believe flesh is bad and all spirit is good. That's heresy to believe that. What I'm here to say is that your flesh requires maintenance. Right. Mm -hmm. mm. And the moment you come to Jesus, your flesh is sanctified. I don't preach on sanctification because we don't have time. Hello, somebody. But there is a hope that all believers have. Is this okay for people tonight? Boy, I'm trying to teach you guys some stuff in the Bible so the Bible makes sense to you. Amen. Because some people think that, yeah, when I die, I go to heaven, I'm with Jesus, and we're going to eat some meals and hang out. You know, that's not really what's going to happen. I mean, you probably eat some meals and hang out, but there's more to it. Do you want to hear more to it, right? Yeah. Okay. This is called glorification. Mm -hmm. You know, some people don't even be in church 20 years. They have no idea we're going to get a resurrected body. What? Have you ever heard the pastor get up in front of the church and say, Today we're talking about glorification of the body. Who has ever heard a pastor preach on that the whole sermon? Why? I don't understand why. This is a major topic in the Bible. Well, it's not relevant to us now. It doesn't matter. It's in the Bible. We should preach it. They don't know. They don't know. Hello, somebody? Okay, glorification is when we receive resurrection bodies when Christ returns and raises those bodies of every believer from the dead and reunites them with their spirit. Hello, somebody. Thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies. You say, black it up with scripture. Okay, Romans eight seventeen. Be glorified with him. Hello? 
It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, So also in Christ shall be made alive, but each in his order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. John 5, 28 says, The hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Someone say resurrection. resurrection. Okay, go with me to 1 Corinthians 15, if you got your Bible. If you're taking notes, write this down. Who is the believer's enemy? Anybody know? Hello? The devil? Anybody got any other answers? Brother Moore? Your mind, your intellect, that's true. In, in the sense that we have to renew it. Anybody know what else? What is the great enemy of the believer? The great enemy? Death. I shouldn't say of the believer. I should say of mankind. The great enemy of mankind is death. Hello, somebody. You have people today, the one thing they don't want to think about, they want to avoid, is the day I die. If you want to come face to face to death with wisdom, you read the Ecclesiastes. Because the Ecclesiastes, people say it was written by Solomon when he's backsliding. No, no, no. That's what positive prosperity people will tell you because it's telling you the truth. This is because it conflicts so great with the prosperity message to think that all your prosperity is going to become nothing one day. So basically what it's saying is it doesn't matter. The fool ends up the same way as the rich man. Who? What do you mean by the poem? No, no, no. Prosperity is good for the purpose that it serves. But a person that serves his prosperity, hello somebody, is going to end up the same way, never laying up treasure towards God. Amen. And the person in Ecclesiastes is writing to a fool with his money. And someone saying, if you trust money and you serve money, you may make a lot of money. You may become successful. But guess what? You're going to end up the same way as the person that had no money because you were never rich unto God. That's right. You never use your measure to serve the kingdom of God. Hello, somebody. In other words, every person is going to die unless Christ comes first. Amen. And what you did with your life is only then going to matter that's right do you know that the world is meant for your destruction and the world is trying to deceive you and people today they are not conscious of the fact that they're going to die and they bury it so back far into their mind you know what they start doing serving the world and looking like the world hello are you here Amen. see here's the reality of it I do realize this, this earth, everything I do, the only thing that matters is the purpose of God. Yes. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's true. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter, do you know what does not matter as much as people think it matters? Success. That's right, bro. Amen. How do you define success? How do you define it? Everybody has their own definition of success. Well, success is coming up with an invention. Success is becoming something in ministry. Success is being a CEO of a business. Success is getting the, uh, you know, this amount of dollars. Success is, no, 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 no. This is not success. Do you know what success is? Only one thing. Being obedient to God. Yes. Right. Hallelujah. 
My obedience may get me here. Your obedience may get you here. Another person's obedience may get you here. Your obedience may get you 50,000 a year. Another person's obedience may get them 200,000 a year. Another person's obedience may get them 2 million a year. But success is not in what the obedience brought. Success is in the obedience in and of itself. Yes. Amen. Mm. Right? That's right. Because the hope that we have as believers is not in the reward in this life. The hope that we have in believers is the fact that at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you as an adopted child of the living God will join the rest of your family and you will look at everyone that's been adopted and say, we look like Jesus. Amen. So, how about this now? In Ecclesiastes, all those who serve their money and die, whether you be rich or whether you poor, end up the same way. We got that, right? But how about this? All those who obey God, whether they be rich or whether they be not rich, will end up the same way, glorified before Jesus. Yes. Did I connect that right for you this night? We are all, as believers, going to look the same way. The fact is that you have a glorified body that is coming to you. Do you know what my hope is? Do you know sometimes I've done hospital visits where I see people, good Christians, who love God with all their heart and with all their minds, and who they run the Brother Hagen tapes over and over and over and over again trying to believe God for their healing. And do you know what? They die. Now you can, someone who's distant from this, say, well, you didn't have enough faith. But let me tell you something. Do never go into a hospital visit and tell that to somebody. That's right. That's right. If you tell that to someone in a hospital visit, you're going to be finding your way out the door. That's right. In pastoral ministry, you can't tell that to people. Well, the truth. No, you don't know what's in a person's heart. That's right. Do you know what Paul did not do in the scriptures? He did not ever talk about the sick and why they die. Do I believe in healing? 100%. Do I believe that it's God's will for people to die of sickness? No. Do I know why people die of sickness? No. I have seen people come to healing services. I have seen people come to all these services and still they go see Ben Hinn, they go see Robert, and they die. I know of a case, a, a pastor in California just told me this story. A guy goes, I'm not trying to talk you about healing, I'm trying to let you see there's something beyond healing. Right. Hello, and that's what the focus of the gospel was. I remember I went to a, uh, a service and someone said that there was this preacher, he called a person up, he prayed for someone who had heart issue, the person testified that they got healed, they took, stopped taking their heart medicine, and then they died. These things happen. And do you know, I don't blame God for it, but I know God's a good God. But do you know what I will say? People will always ask you, why did it happen? Do you know what Paul's answer was? It wasn't, what happened because this, this, and this. It's not in the Bible. Do you know what the answer is? There's glorification on the other side. The answer is this. When Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? When I bury this person I'm going to see on Saturday, whose body was eaten up with cancer, a believer who died, what 
do you tell people to bring hope in that situation? You tell them this, that death met its match the moment that Jesus Christ said it is finished. In the moment when he was in hell, the Bible said that Jesus was justified in the spirit. What does this mean? That Jesus was declared righteous when he was in the pit of Hades. And when he rose from the grave, the Bible says he was seen of angels. Do you know what I disbelieve when it says he was seen of angels? The word angels means minister, servant. He was seen of the 500 that went and testified that he lives. Do you know what that means? What do you think they were testifying? That he beat death. Yes. Those witnesses that saw Jesus and they began to testify, what kind of testimony did they have? That our God has swallowed up death. You know what the sad reality of it is? If we continue to live on. Hello, this is, this is sobering stuff. We have to think about it though. We have to think about this before it happens. That we will continue to live on. And if we live on, you will see the death of a loved one. Even if they come to healing service and get healed, you will see their death. The hope that you have, healed or not. I believe God wants to heal all the time. Let me just get this straight. But I have to talk to you about this because if you don't talk about it in service when it happens you call me to your home and ask me about it That's right. Amen. what do I think about death when it happens whether through sickness or not sickness I think this that he rose from the grave that he adopted us into his family that he called us his own he justified us declared us not guilty He promised us that as He is, so shall we be in this soy life of God, in this new birth that we have inside of Jesus Christ. We will be as He is. The Bible says this. Let me show you this and I'm almost done. Sorry, but let me show you real quick. I've got all these notes. Let me show you what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to show you what you have coming. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because you know what I find? That we cannot, we are only thankful to the level that we understand the gospel to go forth. Nobody prays for the sick as hard. I mean, I pray for the sick hard. There may be other people that pray just as hard as I do, but I like to think I pray for the sick as the best of them. I've gone all over the globe and prayed for sick people and seen miraculous healings. I will have supernatural services where we have people come and testify that God has healed their bodies. But the fact of the matter is, at the same time, I have also stood before funeral services and put people in the grave. And I'll be doing it Saturday. And you don't preach healing at those services. You could. I guess you could if the Spirit told you to. But you have to talk about a little something more. We have to know this as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. 
so also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption, it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Well, look at this, let me show you real quick. Here is what happens. Are you here, guys? Yeah. This is the power of the gospel. Number one, the Bible says that our resurrection body will be imperishable. You have an imperishable body waiting for you in the heavens. As a matter of fact, look at your body. You know what? I thank God for this. This body is a seed. Paul says it's sown. It's sown but raised. That means that when somebody dies, you know what happens? You see their loved one die? Their body? What do you make of it? It's sown. They just sowed their body. What if they got blown up by a grenade? Whatever molecule of that body is left. I don't need a whole body, just a piece of the body. Well, I put their ashes on in Lake Michigan. There's still some molecule of that ash around that God is going to use to raise it up. Imperishable. Do you know what that word imperishable means? It means healthy and strong forever without the signs of aging. It means that once, see, your body, Arnold Schwarzenegger's body, Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest soccer player, or Messi, whatever one you like, these people whose body is an oil machine, still does not in this day and age able to display the glory and splendor of God the way He created human beings. You are looking at my body as fallen. Right? But imperishable means that when all creation looks at your body, they'll say, that shows the beauty and splendor of God's mind and creation. Your body right now doesn't show it the splendor of God's creation. It shows the splendor of God's creation as fallen, which is still very amazing. Yes. It also says, in glory. Now this is my favorite one out of all of these. This word glory is always used in this context as a shining radiance. Which really means that Wherever you go throughout the rest of eternity, your body, which is physical, it is a physical body, will have a shining radiance wherever you go. That will state to people, you are one of the redeemed. Hello? It also means in power. Raised in power. This means that you're going to have the fullness of strength and power. You know, today I was at the gym. I took this stuff before I went. I went to GNC, I told them, I said, you know, I said, uh, I see these people walking around with uh, blue and pink stuff in their bottles when they're working out. What is this stuff? I want to know about it. They're like, well, you know, it's, we got protein. I said, no, no, I don't want protein. I take that after I work out. I want the blue electric pink stuff they got in their bottles. <laughs> <laughs> what is this stuff? And they took me back. A tiny little thing where you get like, maybe 20 scoops out of it. $67 for this stuff. Yeah. I said, no thank you, I don't care what it is. <laughs> I said, but what is it? <laughs> they said it's called creatine. You put it in, 
And uh, they said, it'll give you a lot of endurance when you're working out. And I said, uh-huh, I've heard that one before. She goes, no, 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 I got samples for you. She must have liked me because she gave me tons of samples, tons. I said, boy, I'm going to send Jordan in there next week, and he's going to go after samples. I'm like, give me the samples. <laughs> Keep this going. Who wants to go to GNC for me and get some samples, Amy? <laughs> Brett's going to go there next week. We're just going to go get some. If you're ever in the mall, go to GNC and ask for some samples of Creedy and bring them to me, okay? <laughs> so I got them on Wednesday night. I couldn't work out yesterday. I got up this morning and I went to the gym. I said, let me see how this sample works out. I just put this in the bottle, shook it up, right? Took it into the gym. Now, I was lifting a certain weight on the bench press. And I was like, you know, I took this stuff. But I was feeling kind of like the Hulk. You know, I was like, I'm feeling energetic. I'm like, what's going on? Got on the treadmill. I didn't do what I I did twice what I usually do on the treadmill. And I was like, what is going on with this stuff, right? Got on the thing I normally do, and I just felt extra today, right? Not only did I put the weight I did, I added 10 pounds to each side and did like 12 reps, just. I thought. I don't even feel like I did that right. <laughs> I said, what? This stuff may be worth $67. I gotta go some more of this stuff. What is this stuff? I walk around like this. I looked at my chest. It was huge. I said, Whoa, if I could just keep this going for a couple of days. I got, I worked out 90 minutes. I had to go. I didn't want to leave the gym. I was like, I want to do some more. <laughs> Bring me someone to wrestle. You guys do wrestling here? <laughs> Fighting? Kickboxing? Give me somebody to kill right now. <laughs> a bad guy or something. <laughs> Feeling huge. <laughs> Feeling massive. I felt. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow morning? <laughs> You know, I thought I couldn't help but think of my message tonight. I thought, you know what? This is good, but there's going to be a day when we get to heaven and our bodies are as strong as God meant them to be. Mm. Raised in power. I don't mean superhuman strength. I mean, you're going to have the strength to do whatever God tells you to do. He may tell you, you know what? There's a comet hurling towards Jupiter. Go move it out the way. <laughs> you're not even going to need to get creatine. GNC will be long burned up by then. You say, okay, God. Right? That's awesome. It also says that it is now spiritual. This doesn't mean that it's not physical. Do you know what this word spiritual means? This word spiritual is always meant in Scripture to talk about being led and guided by the Holy Ghost. So it being spiritual simply means this. The Holy Ghost says do it and your flesh won't come back and say no. It means that your body will say, yes, Lord. Wouldn't that be something when God says to us nowadays, He says, go talk to that person. No, Lord. Don't eat that. No, God. Don't look at that woman. No, God. I want to just get a look real quick. Now, the Holy Spirit says, do that. You say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Because there'll be no flesh to kick back and say not. And the next thing it means is that our bodies will be like Him. 1 John 3, 2. When it says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that's simply a metaphor of saying that your state that you are now can't enter the kingdom. But you're going to be turned differently. And so you will now have, when you enter into the kingdom of God, when Jesus Christ comes back, your body will be raised up. If you've died at that time, the Bible says that Christ will bring those who have died with Him and those bodies will be raised from the dead. And if you're alive at that time, your body will be translated into a brand new spiritual body. 
So what if Jesus comes and I'm at Dairy Queen? Well, then at Dairy Queen, your body is going to turn into a supernatural body. What if I die? What about Grandma and Grandpa? When Jesus comes back to the earth, He'll have their spirits with Him, and their bodies will come back up and the whole family be united again. Now, doesn't this make sense? Doesn't this sound like something we can put hope in? And do you know what? It all started when you were sitting in your seat. And the preacher got up and said, some people need Jesus. And you heard God say, you want to go for the ride of your life? You want to be born again? You want to be justified? You want to be regenerated? Do you want me to impute the righteousness of Christ to you? Do you want to overcome the world? Do you want to overcome temptation? Do you want to overcome sickness? Do you want to overcome disease? Do you want to be the heir of all things? Do you want to rule and reign in this next millennium? And do you know what the most interesting thing about all this? Is that the Bible teaches that this whole earth now has the same curse that your body has on it. And that is, it has got corrosion working in it. And not only will your body be changed, this earth will be changed the same way your body's changed. Therefore, your body will be changed into a body that is suitable to rule and reign upon an earth that has now been redeemed. So you have a glorified body now taking rulership over a glorified earth. You have no idea how good our God is. Here we are walking around. That's why when Old Testament, the old the, the New Testament church, when they were sending those believers to the fire, they said, Go ahead, cut my head off. Go ahead, throw me to the wild pigs and the wild cows. What's this life anyway? I'm not saying that we should become beggars and paupers. You know what I'm trying to say here is no matter what. You know what? At Thanksgiving, thank God for all you have. Eat as much as you can fit in your mouth. But you know what? Remember, no matter how good it gets and how blessed you are on this earth, we got something better coming. Stand to your feet tonight. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly, so make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.